What is meditation? Why is there so much fuss around meditation? The religious people talk about it as much as any typical person. Meditation is present in each and every religion. And now it is actually becoming a, a science, a pseudoscience actually. Meaning, science is actually trying to learn and quantify meditation. So, why do we give it so much importance? Are we all talking about the same thing? Or we all have different understanding of it? Can we perhaps shed more light on this matter? As far as I'm concerned, meditation is something of great value. Life is meditation. That is just how important meditation is to me. So please understand the passion that I might put behind this episode. Because it is really that valuable to me. And this is perhaps the last episode of this series. After this episode, I need not to talk to you anymore. Because anyone who truly listened to this series would have gone through a journey. Episode after episode, your mind would have gone through a revolution, so to speak. One might not be aware of it at first. But your very brain cells have undergone a transformation. To me, that is the change this world needs. Not the superficial change we all invest our efforts into. We send our kids to study for and compete against each other. Not that kind of change. I don't think that we do much. So perhaps I might start a new theory, should I feel the need or want to do so. But please understand, there's absolutely nothing more to add. If you have been having a dialogue with me, it means you have traveled the journey from a beginning until the end and back. Although I was there to accompany you, in reality you were always taking the steps alone. All I did was pointing out the finger, but you and you alone walked step after step, opened one door after another, and finally, this is the moment to be entirely alone, with no one telling you anything. You have opened a door that can only receive one person. The fact that I am the one pointing out some direction really means nothing once you cross that door. It could have been the other way around. That is, you could have been the speaker right now and me the listener. That wouldn't mean a thing either. And that's the beauty of truth. It belongs to no one. And this is the starting point of this episode. This last dialogue about meditation starts at the very beginning. 
authority. If you remember properly, the very first dialogue we had was about authority. So meditation, in other words, is the link between the beginning and the end. It is the constant understanding of life. But before we observe what it is, can we find out what meditation is not? Because from the negation of the non-truth or the false, we can reach the truth with certainty. Should we start with something that we think it is, you know? Should we start with what we think truth is? We will end up with a lot of doubts eventually. We will doubt the truth. So, what is not meditation? Well, meditation, as most people put it, and according to the dictionary, is a practice where an individual uses a technique such as mindfulness or focusing on the, focusing the mind on a particular object, thought, or activity to train attention and awareness and achieve a mentally clear and emotionally calm and stable state. This is the formal definition. Now, some religious people, such as monks, gurus, put it differently. They are a little bit more subtle. That is, they say, it is a technique, a method that helps someone control thought so that one can achieve nirvana or God or enlightenment or whatever depending on their personal religious affiliations. In order to do so, they give out certain chants, or also known as mantras or prayers. And by repeating those mantras and various sounds, or by focusing on a specific thought or a chain of thought, one can finally reach a certain state. That is more or less how they put it. I cannot repeat it exactly how they put it since I'm not an expert. But the important factor is that there are few elements that are always associated to meditation. One being, there's a technique. Mm -hmm. a method secondly that method is to control or stop thought lastly for the purpose of achieving something higher in order to achieve a certain state those three elements are always present in the understanding of meditation they can be blatant about it or very subtle, but they are always there. So whether they are Christians, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, some crooks in, in white clothes, uh, some people addicted to some hallucinations, or some scientists who are trying to understand the benefits of meditation, they all, or at the very least, 99% of them, 
have those three elements in their definition of meditation. Therefore, to them, meditation is a practice. Something you can get better at as you're doing it. Alright? It is something you do in order to do something and eventually obtain some results or reach someone. In other words, they have understood the importance of a quiet mind, the importance of stopping thought, all right? And they have come up with a technique to do so. And for what goal? Well, to reach a certain state, to reach nirvana or paradise or pure energy, whatever suits them. Now, let us look into those three elements and see how having any of those three means that you are bound to fall into all sort of illusions and therefore you are not actually meditating. Let us see the fallacy of each and every one of them so as to allow us to be in a state of meditation, real meditation. Firstly, they say that it is a technique that has to be practiced. A technique implies there's a method, right? A roadmap to follow, isn't it? Where there's a roadmap, there's the knowledge of the beginning and the end, isn't it? Which means they more or less know where they are and where they need to reach. Now, what is it that creates that method, that technique? Obviously, it is thought. It is the thinking process. Every single technique whether it is a technique to create a mobile phone or a motorcycle or a technique to lose weight faster, it is created by thought. Similarly, thought is also responsible for a technique of meditation, which is generally sit cross-legged once or twice a day, breathing in and out in a certain manner, chanting some mantras, humming or praying, praising, begging, or following a certain chain of thought. That is the technique, with little variations depending on your school of thought or religion. But the point is, there is a technique. But if you look at it, you can see that the technique is the invention of thought of our thoughts, right? The second element is the control of thoughts, which means by practicing that technique, one will be able to stop thought. Now, what is it that will stop thought? The technique, right? So, 
thought is expected to stop that. How can the technique, which is the result of thought, stop thought? It cannot. The technique is nothing but the creation of additional thought. Please see the illusion behind this. Every method or technique is created by thought, which means they are nothing but thought. Method or techniques are thought. And they believe that the method will stop thought. There's a big fallacy there. Quite obvious, actually, so I really wonder how they entertain it. The third element is you do all of that in order to reach somewhere, some state, in order to be enlightened. So, from the very beginning of your meditation, course meditation, you know exactly where you start and where you end, as well as what you might get from it or what you will get from it at the end. Can you see the beginning of illusions? Can you see how illusory your mind is going to be? From the very beginning, you have already given the tasks to your mind. And unfortunately, your mind knows nothing else but to obey. So you will reach what you want to reach. You will experience whatever you desire. Depending on your conditioning, you will see demons and angels flying around. You will experience shifts of dimensions, whatever that means. You will see masters and other beings. You will have out-of-body experiences. You will touch or be touched by God. Hmm? There's nothing that your mind can't offer you on a silver platter. Absolutely nothing. But is that truth? No, it is not. Truth is not stained by our thoughts, our desire, fear, longing, searching, begging, and God knows what else. So, if you mean by meditation a practice, you are wrong. If you mean by meditation control, you are wrong. If you mean by meditation achievement in the form of a reward or punishment, you are also wrong. All that is not meditation. Now then, what is meditation? Can you find out? As I pointed out earlier, to find out what meditation is, we have to go all the way from the beginning. We have to build the foundations. And that is no authority. 
An authority can be your parents and their ideals, your priests with their beliefs, your gurus with their advices and techniques, your country, your tribe, your scientific knowledge, your president, your wife, your books, movies and songs, all those can be authorities. The moment you look up to someone or some knowledge and belief, you are under their authority and therefore can never see what is beyond. When it comes to these questions, these deep questions, you really need no authority. <coughs> Sorry. If you have gurus, if you have gurus or have guides, I really hope you throw them away at the end of this dialogue. Starting with myself, if you do not use me as a simple mirror, you have grown dependent on me, then you are in serious trouble. If you have made an authority of yourself as well, you are in trouble. If your guilt hmm, is an authority, then you cannot meditate. I have done this, oh my God, I shouldn't have. That constant guilt is an authority. The pride of, I know, I am rich, I am humble, I am better, I know better, that is also an authority. You are your own authority in this case. So, if you have any authority whatsoever, you are doomed, it's finished, you are a slave. Be it to yourself or to external factors, you are a slave and you cannot meditate. So, please eliminate all authorities, I insist. Starting with me, please. I am nothing. In fact, you could be the one talking right now and me listening. This is how unimportant I am. For whatever unfortunate reasons, I am the one doing the talking. But it is really nothing, okay? So, to get rid of your authorities, you have to know them first. Do not run away from them. Know that your priest and his God are authorities. See how much of a slave you are to them. Know that all your sciences and their various theories and never-ending discoveries are authorities. See how your whole mind is a slave to them. How your mind is a slave to technology. See it. Know that your depression your laziness, your ambition, your hope, your desire for enlightenment are authorities in your life. See it. Be completely with it. That is how you get rid of them. It comes naturally as you face what is. It's as simple as that. 
might not be easy, but it is really that simple. So now, when you have no authority, it means that you are standing alone. Hmm? You are completely alone. You rely on you and you alone when it comes to meditation. There's no one to encourage you, tell you how you are go how you you're going in the right direction or the wrong one, remind you how great you are or how stupid you are. Even your thinking has abandoned you, so to speak, because you won't allow it to be an authority in your life. Ah, uh, yeah, it is that deep. I hope you see how deep this is. It is the hardest thing you have ever done, the hardest you will probably ever do in your whole life, but it's worth it. So you have to be alone. So, now that you're alone, can we see what meditation is? Is meditation something you do from time to time? Once, twice, or three times a day, you know, like your prescribed cough syrup. Huh? Is meditation also something you do in an isolated place, like your priests and monks uh, and gurus do? No, that's not it. Meditation isn't something you do as part of life. You need not to be like your monks, isolate yourself, or count the number of times you do. Because meditation covers your whole life and beyond, if I can put it that way. And that is true meditation. So, what is your life? What is the day-to-day -day life of a human being? Well, first, there's the waking life. The hours when you are awake, you know, daytime. What happens in your daytime? Well, you are walking. You are walking, singing, talking, uh, coughing, watching a movie, hearing your neighbor make a noise, going to school or walk or... I don't know where, fighting, hating, feeling sad or happy, judging both you and others, planning, smiling, having pleasure, fearing, and so on. So, you are in action, isn't it? Your actions are always the result of your senses and thinking. At least 99% of your actions Alright, so your senses are always in operation and so is the thinking. That is always going on. <coughs> Sorry. That is your daily life. 
That is what goes on for all human beings. Whether you're short or tall, pink or green, rich or poor, that is what goes on. Now, for there to be meditation, you have to be aware of that. Can you be aware of all of that? Can you be aware of how you walk, how you eat, how you run, how you're tired? Physically, can you be aware of what is happening to your body as well as what's happening around you, to your surrounding? For example, you see a pigeon flying. For that moment that it caught your attention, can you truly see how those wings move? How it lands on the roof and how it takes a damp on it? When you're cleaning the dishes, can you see how the green uh, liquid soap falls on the plate? How you brushing in, cir- in circle gets the, the, the food stuck on the plate, off that plate. How your brother, sister or husband's eyes look when they're talking to you. Mm-hmm. How dark in complexion or light they are. See how excited or tormented they are. How lying and shameful they are how cunning or compassionate they are from moment to moment, how indecisive they are, how hopeful, how much of a slave they are to the authorities. Be aware of all of that, all that movement, how the wind moves the hair or how the leaves fall in the river, how the insect just passed by you, how easily disgusted you are to a fly and attracted to a butterfly. Can you be aware of all that movement? With no effort or choice. Please, in this, there's no effort. You are simply being aware of whatever that gets your attention. So if you are walking, you are really walking. If you are cooking, you are not simply throwing tomatoes in the pot. You are seeing how juicy, how red that thing which we have decided to call tomato is. You are feeling the heat of the heated oil. You are completely cooking. Not cooking and thinking about your next million dollar or sex partner or the shoe that you left in your car, all right? If that shoe comes to your mind, all right, fair enough, be aware of it too. See how distracted you are. You are cooking and wearing a shoe at the same time. (laughs) I wonder how that food will taste. Now, this is the physical part. It might sound easy to do, but it's the hardest thing to do. Because for the most part, thinking is always in the way. We are never actually there. Because thinking is always our master. 
Therefore, we are sleeping to the moment. We are not aware of the moment. We are rarely aware of it. So, psychologically as well, you need to be aware of what is going on. How bored you are of, say, a movie. Hmm? That movement of thinking. You get bored. How excited you are as you wake up or how tired you are of the routine. How one moment you are thinking this job has to be finished and the next moment you are thinking what am I going to eat? Now, here's the important part when it comes to thinking. First, you have to understand that there's not a thinker who's doing the thinking. I cannot repeat this enough. I can really not repeat it enough. You have to get it. You have to see it. Not because I'm saying it, but you have to look at it. There's just a thinking in movement. You know, there's so much to explain in meditation. It's almost impossible to do it in a single talk. Please, I hope by now you have seen that that reality, the reality behind thinking, and that is, there's not a thinker and a thought. The thinker is just another thought. The thinker is the thought, and the thought is the thinker. There's just a movement of memories interacting together. Therefore, there's only thinking. So when you are observing that movement, you have to know that the observer is the observed. So, when you wake up and feel excited about the job, know that your brain has just resurfaced the memory of having a job that needs to be taken care of and another memory of how great the job is or how nice it is, how nice it will be to see someone else at the job, at the workplace, sorry, or get out of the house. Uh, and that creates a feeling of excitement. That feeling is just thinking in movement, in operation. Psychologically, there's not a you who is feeling excited. It is just the movement of thought that creates that feeling. Similarly, when you will see a car accident on your way to work or to school or whatever, and you feel shaken, frightened, be aware that it is a movement of seeing someone hurt by the accident. And the thought of the possibility that it could have been you in that situation or someone you love, and the trauma that it would have left to your family, for example, that is that movement that is creating that sense of being frightened. All right? 
the examples are really infinite. The point is that thoughts is just a movement from the past. And there is no such thing as the thinker or the thought. There is just thinking. I repeat, there is only thinking. So, be aware of that psychological movement as well. And that movement is the same that is going on within each and every one of you. Within me, the speaker, and within you right now as you're listening to me. You can look at it right now. So, if you understand what is going on with you, you are also understanding what is going on with me, with the neighbor, with the guy in the other country, with the guy out of this out of the atmosphere, with the guy under the sea, you're understanding what is happening with every human being, with the entire humankind. And it is only thinking. Therefore, it is not possible to control thought. Because who is doing the controlling part? The controller is the same as the controlled. Trying to control thought is simply asking for more thought. Now then, if you focus your your mind on a certain mantra, for instance, you are simply making the mind dull, repeating the same thoughts over and over. And that sort of monotony creates an illusion of there being silence. Alright? You might feel some sort of pleasure probably. You know, just like when you hear some nice song, you might experience some strange feelings and emotions, but you are really just a dull mind. But understanding that the controller is the controlled, the thinker is the thought, the analyzer is the analyzed, the prayer is the prayed, that understanding has its own silence. Not a forced silence, not an illusory silence, not a silence as a result of there not being noise. It is complete silence. Everything comes out of that silence, including thoughts. That is the only and real silence. And I hope you see how natural that is. It isn't created out of our, our longing and seeking, out of, our, out of our greed, ambition, desire, and pleasure seeking. And that is because it is completely uncontaminated by your thought. Now, this type of life creates order during your daytime, during your working hours. 
and this order or harmony is enforced. It is not the result of blocking oneself from worldly affairs, as the monks like to put it. It is not the result of harsh discipline, you know, no sex, no meat, no drugs, no whatever they judge the rest of humanity for doing. It is order on its own. It has its own discipline. A discipline that requires no effort, no sacrifice. It is simply. That means you have order during the day, psychologically. Because your mind is awake during the day, you know. All that movement of I should or I should not do this and that. I wish this and that. I hope this and that. You know, all that has been observed. Nothing has kept your mind. Not even your own distractions. In fact, there's no such thing as a distraction. And that is natural harmony. So you now have psychological harmony during the day. So what happens during your sleep? What happens during your nighttime, during your sleeping hours? Before we look into that, I should point out something about the body as well. Because for there to be complete harmony, the mind and the body all have to be harmonious. Therefore, your body needs to be taken care of as well. Your body needs to be taken care. First, the body needs rest. Enough rest every day. You cannot force your body to work overtime every single day. You know, nowadays we are forcing our bodies either through excessive work, exercise, drugs or sex, too much food, wrong food, too much of everything really. Look, I'm not here to tell you what to eat or what not to eat. Your body can tell you much better than I can. Because hmm? when you are constantly eating and and tiring the body, you like order. When you are constantly involved in sex and all sort of pleasurable acts, your body, of course, isn't in order. You like harmony. You're being greedy. Therefore, eat well and just enough. Drink well and just enough. Limit your pleasure. There's nothing wrong with pleasure, but limit them. Don't overdo. You do not need to watch videos of nice people doing nice things all the time, day in, day out. You do not need to have sex all the time. You need no drugs in your body. You need not to take money as your anthem. You know, a life where we go to work for 50 years, from 8 to 8, 
is a horrific, disgusting life. Such an ugly society we have created. From a very young age until the last days, we are completely living an appalling life. But anyway, get busy during the day when the time is right. Get some rest. Get rested. Eat and drink early and healthy. And then let your body be rested, please. You know, this is your life. Okay? Only you can do something about it. I'm not your fitness coach, nor am I your guru. If you have gurus, let me remind you to get rid of them. All right then. <clears throat> Sorry. With such a daily life, you have harmony. Your body and the mind are in order. Universal order, so to speak. Like pure order. Not your own idea of what order is. Or some idea of what order should be that you've taken from a video or a tutorial or a book or from your ancestors. It is natural order. You're literally letting the whole thing run by itself. Then you go to sleep for say five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours, depending on your responsibilities. Now, what happens? First, let us inquire what happens when you go to sleep, when you have a dis disharmonious life. Disharmonious in the way that we've observed, you know. Not, not an idea of what disharmony means. What happens to you when you are asleep? Well, that disorder continues. That chaos goes on. And when we are a bit sensitive, or when the mind is really tired of all that mess, we can see it as a form of dreams. That is why in your dreams some sort of action is always happening, you know, just like in your daily life. Suppose you go to sleep while having been stressed by money for the whole day. Well, the brain tries to fix that issue in your sleep too. Therefore, you will perhaps see yourself robbing a bank or winning the lottery or getting a promotion or, I don't know, just crying about money. So, the brain, in order to rest completely, it first needs order. It has to establish order. It can never rest when there is a problem that needs to be attended to. Either you fix it during the day or you will fix it in your sleep. So a disorderly mind can never rest. It works over time. <coughs> if you have a sexual urge that needs to be attended to, then you will dream of it during sleep. The brain literally cries out and begs for some rest. 
and therefore works it out so it can finally rest. Then you wake up and your disorder continues again. And at night you repeat the same thing, condemning your mind to perpetual unrest. But when you have acquired harmony or order during the day, harmony in the sense that we've discussed, right? Not a forced harmony, rather a natural harmony that comes without effort, with you just being aware of what is going on inside of you and outside of you. When that is established, what goes on in your sleep? Well, first of all, your brain is not working over time. You have no problems to solve. There was an observation of each and every problem, if they cannot, they can be called problems at all. Your financial matters, your physical urges, your psychological matters, all that has been observed. Nothing escaped you. You can be distracted, yes. But being aware that you were distracted means that there was no distraction in the first place. I wonder if you see this. So, when your body and mind goes to rest, there is complete rest. Therefore, no dreams. If your body is ill or you take drugs and eat wrongly, there will be some dreams, you know, which is why I'm saying it's very important to take care of your body too. And taking care of it is really not a hard thing to do. You just listen to it. Do not suppress everything with pills. You drink alcohol the whole day, the whole night, and then you wake up with headaches, and you jump to pills to get rid of them. Hmm? And you are not listening to your body. It is begging to be taken care of. Stop the alcohol. That is what it's saying. But if your body is well and therefore in harmony and your mind is in order, therefore in, in harmony, natural harmony, what happens during the sleep? Absolutely no dreams. It doesn't mean that nothing happens. Something else happens, but not dreams. Because that is when the mind is completely awake. The mind, and that mind is not yours or mine. It is the mind, the whole of it. That orderly mind that was present during the day goes on over there too. And therefore is aware of what is happening in the sleep. It is when you are aware that you're sleeping. So you are awake in your sleep.
Now, some people reach this state by chance, you know, by some sort of practice. And they refer, they commonly refer it to lucid dreaming. Hmm? They think of it as states where they can do whatever they want, engage in all sort of pleasurable acts and whatever suits their minds. You know? That is because their minds are dull. They do not have a meditative mind and therefore corrupts their occasional moments of awareness. Do not fall into that. Otherwise, it's really pointless. I mean, you can already do what you want in your daily life. That is what they do not realize. They engage themselves in all those desires during the day already. Through their thoughts, you know, through their desires, through some of their actions. But they do it without being aware of it. So doing it during sleep is really nothing special. What's the fuss about it? And they wake up with with a sense of frustration. And what do, what do they do then? They try to master the art of being in that state by doing some sort of practice just to repeat that nonsense that side. However, since meditation covers the whole of life, there has to be meditation in the sleeping hours as well. Which is where you have complete freedom to meditate. Because as much as you want, during the day there's always a good deal of conflict. Even if you have established order. There's always the whole movement of, I need to do this, I shouldn't do this, what is this and that. You know, thought is always conflicting. And since we need thoughts in our daily lives, we are involved in those conflicts, whether we want or not, whether big or small, they are there. We can only be aware of them. But in sleep, in that state, there's complete freedom to observe and inquire into what we can never during the daytime. And that is when the mind is in meditation during sleep. Honestly, I cannot tell you how deep this is. It's absolutely indescribable, incomparable. Because it is when the mind is everything. Because that mind is is everything and nothing. It is the totality of matter, universe, therefore the totality of energy. And an orderly mind has access to all that energy. And in that state of meditation during sleep is when finally the mind has a mirror in front of itself, so to speak. 
and there you can touch into things that you normally can never during the working hours. Please, these are just words. You know, in that state, then you can perhaps find out what death is, what creation is, what the source is. Also, I need to mention other, another aspect of this. <coughs> Sorry. As you start living this kind of life, you will discover many interesting things. Very interesting. You discover new things that some may call supernatural. All right? I really do not know why we put a tag on them, but you find those things in you, so to speak. Since you have become extremely sensitive, you can do some out-of-the-ordinary things, like reading minds, uh, telepathy, transcending time and space. I mean, there's really no limits when it comes to this. <coughs> Sorry. Personally speaking, I'm still discovering them. That is just how broad these are. This is just how unlimited that mind is. But I know enough to warn you. Never fall for those type of things. Never touch them. Don't use them for selfish reasons. Then you have become a monster. Because they have their own energy. And they they emphasize selfishness. So if you haven't dealt with your sexual problems, for example, and you tap into this energy, then you have just created tremendous problems for humanity, you included. If you live for money and power and you touch into this, then, <laughs> then you will be worshipped. It will be me, me, look at me, I can do this, I am this, bow down to me, bow down. All that is selfishness. So you have to see them and ignore them, literally look elsewhere. Occasionally play with them, you know, use them, but keep them to yourself as much as possible. Unless when you really feel the genuine need to do otherwise. Because there's tremendous danger in them. So please get rid of your selfishness. It is much more important than anything. You know, selfishness in the sense that clear the ego. You know, understand the conflicting nature of thoughts. That's what I mean by selfishness. Otherwise, you're evil. Not that there's good and evil, but in this specific case, you really are evil. If you don't go past them, then you are evil. That is why you see some very few individuals that reach this energy by some twist of the universe, through various selfish ways and, you know, and they form groups and sects, churches and tribes, 
all for the preservation of these powers, so to speak. And they think they have reached somewhere. They have, they have, you know, but they are completely lost in them. Whether they play the role of the good guys or evil ones, it is still the same game going on. Some just play in churches and monasteries, while others play, in, play them in graveyards and lodges or whatever. They are all stuck in the dark. And that is evil. It's the only evil I can really see in this world. When you can't get out of the trap of your own making, when you haven't transcended good and evil, that is evil. So I repeat, if you shift your energy into these superficial things, then you've lost the whole thing. You will never get past them. You're just stuck in another game. Much more interesting, I guess, but it's still a trap. A much more intense trap. And those superficial things are really not worth it. I mean, what is so special, really, about knowing tomorrow, for example? Isn't it much more important to know the thing behind the creation of tomorrow? Hmm? What is so important about reading thoughts or telepathy? Isn't it much more important to understand the reason there's all of that in the first place? I mean, I'm really amazed how easily impressed our minds are. You see a woman levitating or walking on water and it's a huge thing for us. But we have boats and airplanes and we have a whole body that is listening to my voice right now through a device with a heart bumping and pumping blood and fingers moving. You know, the, the earth moving at, in, at incredible speed. How amazing is that? So please do not fall for such childish feats. There's much more to life than that. You know, very few people will tell you all of this. Because they live to form of a group of elites that are just out there for power and control. Very few seem to understand that they are fighting so hard to dom dominate themselves. They are stepping on each other's toes. You know, it's such a pity. And this is perhaps the reason I feel the need to step in. You know, anyone who get a glimpse of the of this feels the need to step in to do something. Because then you feel like perhaps someone somewhere will understand this when the need arises. Instead of just being in front of all this chaos. Now, what is the use of this type of life? What is it for? What's the use of having this incredible sense of life, you know? This, I don't, I don't have the term for it because it's really just, um, 
it's a life like you've never experienced before. You know, not that, I mean, everything's still there. But the intensity of it on its own is something that I cannot describe. But what's the point of it? Absolutely nothing. There's no point to it. And you perhaps you might have an idea of what it is, but you can never answer this question until you get this far. And you can't even ask it. I mean, who's asking the question? You think you're asking the question? Or is it still your selfishness? Still your thought doing its job? But my answer would be, there's no point to this kind of life. There's no special point. But I'll tell you one thing. I'd rather be out in the light, creating fake shades, rather than be stuck in the dark, creating fake light. I guess that's how I can sum it up. Because then you see the source of everything. The source of the source itself. And as much as I want to share it with you, I simply cannot. Because who am I to do so? Who am I to describe that? I am nothing. The person who's speaking right now, me, really is so meaningless to that immensity. You know, so small. Any description from me is as meaningless as I am. There, the word meaning has no meaning at all. You see, that is what people hate to admit. I think that's what hurts people the most. As much as they cry out, God, and this and that, you know, their selfishness, their arrogance is so strong, they always want to establish contact with that, you know, and they can't, they will never. They're forever reaching out. It is not something you reach out and get to on purpose. That is the very opposite of what you're supposed to do. Even when they claim that it comes by grace, still there's the begging part. There's the harming part. There's the mantra part. Only that can touch this, not the other way around. You see, God, and I really hate this word because it is so meaningless, you know, so arrogant, so human, compressing something infinite into something as small as a word, you know, forgetting that the very fact of there being words is part of that immensity. But we say God and we think we know, understand, we're associated to that which is 
immeasurable. <laughs> you know, a man in the dark can draw as many colorful pictures as he wants, but it is still the dark. He can jump however high he wants, but he is still in space. Anyway, God isn't something we have invited. It isn't something we also invented out of our own understanding. No, out of fears and hopes. That thing that we have arrogantly decided to call God is not the result of our doing. It's the other way around. And that is why God, quote, is as close as your eyeballs and as far as nothing. That's the truth. But you see, touching, no, that touching you changes you instantaneously. Because it is only that that allows you to understand. You do not understand and then you, you touch it or it touches you. The moment you have understood it means there has been that contact. All right? And that is the beginning of something else. Because the end of meditation is the beginning of something entirely new. Although meditation is forever going, but actually having a glimpse of that gives you a sense of creation in your living. And that operates in your daily life. So the daily life and the sleeping life is very much connected. And the link the link that connects the two is meditation. Now, that is real meditation. And that is the real religious life. Not these religions, you know. Not these things that are trying too hard to get onto something they can never. The religious life is knowing and understanding how to live. It's being grateful for what is already here. Being entirely in it. And then that can reach to you. Not abandoning everything that is here and hoping to reach there. That's ingratitude. So, to end this dialogue and theory, I wish to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really mean it. What you might not realize yet 
is that you are caring enough to actually give this your time. Most people don't. Most people won't. And that is why we still have countries and races. Our God and theirs, you know, royalty and peasant, the stupid and the clever, the teacher and the follower. Because people won't listen. They're too caught up in their own ways, too caught up in all this nonsense. And unfortunately, those people are the ones that rule us, you know, because they put all their energy into this. And all this really gives me tears, you know. I really, it hurts me to the bone. No matter what I do, I just cannot get used to it. Though it doesn't remove the beauty of all this, please don't get me wrong, but seeing this eternal suffering, it is eternal suffering. There's no way out of this thing. Seeing this eternal suffering in the midst of so much beauty really hurts my whole being. I can't sit without doing something. I still find joy in everything that I do. I mean, even in the fact that it really bothers me is joyful in a way, but I cannot stand seeing a brother suffering or a sister suffering. I have to do it. But you do it and there's the resistance. The weight of all these traditions, all these, all the knowledge, they simply cannot move. They won't even give it a chance. So really, thank you very much for at least listening. And you undergoing a transformation, a revolution, has much more impact than you can possibly imagine. It's really beyond, beyond your imagination. This is perhaps not an easy way, an easy going way of living life. No? But it is the only way one can truly live. Because there's beauty, there's dignity, responsibility, love and great, great meaning to life. Otherwise you're just a dead thing, you know, always stuck in the past, forever. Our wildest imagination can never describe this type of life. If you live a life with such a dull mind, you will feel how deep in a hole you are without ever realizing what is going on. And that's what's happening. That's what's causing all this confusion, all this seeking, all this hatred. It's really heartbreaking.
doesn't matter how successful it may look like in the short to medium term, but in the end, if you live that type of life, you will just run around in circles. You know, just just running around in circle. That's what we're doing. You know, it reminds me of a story. A story I once heard. Actually, a true story. And it's about a man who, who thinks of an idea to get money. And he, he lives in a, in a very isolated space, very isolated area, just opposite a huge road that has some traffic. And he thinks of an idea to attract people so it can get some money out of him. And what he thinks of is him getting a, a goat, put it in a cage, playing around with it. He brings in two huge speakers playing loud music, the loudest music ever, hardcore music, loud enough to attract the attention of people that are actually driving by at a very high speed. So that's how loud it was. Then... Of course, it does work, since people are as cruel as him. So they stop by and they come to the attraction, or rather to that um, that hell, at least for the gods. All right, and they get there. And they see the gods running around in circle. That's how disturbed it is. Really confused. And they give him some money for that, right? Now, of course, there's always one good person at least, and that person called the authority, animal abuse. They report that individual, that criminal, but by the time they reach to the guy, the gods were so confused so disturbed that when they freed it in the open, in the wild, with miles and miles to run around, you know, in in nature, in its proper environment, uh, that god was so destroyed that it kept running around in circle in that same tiny space, same space as the cage. And that's what's happening to us. We have so confined this mind. We have so destroyed it that we are running around in a small little circle. It doesn't matter how it looks like. It doesn't matter all these new inventions. We have new phones every year, new models. We have new applications, new uh, better cars, better phones, computers, uh, better attraction parks. All those are really nothing. The the price we are paying for that is tremendous. 
So that's what's going to happen to our mind. Just run around in circle. In a tiny little circle. So I cannot thank you enough for actually giving this at least your time. You did not have to. But you did. And I'm, I can't help but think that's maybe because there's a feeling in each one of us, at least in some people, that life is, is so much more than this. So much more than your next job, your next house, your next child, next wife. So much more than my country, my car. Perhaps that is the reason you started inquiring in the first place. But most people won't. I mean, the politicians with their criminality will never do this. The hectic business people will never do this. No, the scientists that are so deep in, in their quest will never stop. The poor with their hunger don't have the time. They want food. So they go and enclose themselves in churches and sects and whatever to get food. And you, the rich, if you are rich, you go in that same zone because you are so tired of what you have. But you just can't give away. Occasionally give in some some charitable events and you think you are doing something but really you are playing with yourself so i really cannot thank you enough for the time that you have given this because let us try to be complete human beings and then you can do anything anything you can be a businessman a teacher a cook uh, whatever but as a complete human being and then whatever that you will do it doesn't matter whatever that you will do you will find joy and success in whatever you're doing and not success defined by the social media or the social status or whatever. Success defined by, by a complete human being. So thank you very much. It's really been a pleasure. Because I feel like we've been sharing much more than the words can communicate. And that's what's important to me. That's all that matters. So thank you.